Hello, friends, and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts. It's your old pal, Tim Clare here, just doing a little intro for today's show. Uh, it's another chat with an author today, the fantastic and charming author, Hayley Webster. She came and chatted to me about her books, how she got into writing, her experience of reading and her joy and intense relationship with reading almost hallucinatory experience of reading books and she talked about her first novel her debut that came out in 2012 called Jar Baby she talked about moving into writing for children with her teacup house series uh, which is really really interesting distinctions between picture books and books that are for emerging readers and middle grade and all those kind of fine tuned genres that I don't really totally understand although I am an end user of them as someone who reads to his daughter quite a lot and who enjoys books that are marketed for children on their own terms as well and I just found it a really really thrilling is the word I want to use it was really exciting to talk to Hayley I've known her for many years on and off but um she's been a writer whose progress I've always been deeply invested in and I think she's very wise although also modest and probably would resist that label she talks really really compellingly about why she writes how she manages multiple projects at the same time uh the value of reading and reading widely and not being a genre snob and not really respecting those boundaries between genres that people put up in the first place. I felt like I learned a huge amount. And I realise at the beginning of all of these episodes where I've talked to a writer, I do this slightly gushing intro where I say, oh, I learned so much and I'm so excited. But it's genuinely, genuinely true. Uh, whether you think that just means I've got poor judgment. I don't think you will, though, because I know you're going to listen to it and I should probably just be quiet so you can hear Hayley in her own words. Um, Of course, I talk too much and talk over my guests sometimes. That's just because I'm a bad interviewer. It's not intended to convey any lack of respect whatsoever. However, if you do like Hayley's work, I'm going to put links in the show notes so you can uh, find it for yourself and buy it because I think you'll really love it, uh, whatever... Uh, genre you want to talk about and she's got loads of exciting things coming up that she unfortunately she wasn't able to talk about but we did have a really good chat and I think if whatever, wherever you are with your writing or your reading you're going to come away inspired I know I am and I feel I feel uh, weirdly it's felt left me feeling really grounded about my writing and really confident that I'm doing the right thing and if Hayley can do that for me a desperately anxious uh, and occasionally self-loathing man now I love myself now it's okay um, but if she can make me feel like that then I'm sure she can do the same for you so I hope you enjoyed today's episode if you want to support the podcast please buy my book and there's a link to my coffee page on my website if you go to timclarepoet.co.uk click the little link that says buy me a coffee I know it's super cheeky but it costs me money to host this podcast it costs me money to host my website and I'm a parent at the moment, so I'm scraping by anyway. Anything you can chuck my way 
uh, or just support my career by buying the honours. I really appreciate it. Thanks for getting in touch with me. If you've got any comments, questions, concerns, anything you'd like to talk about at all, then you can always drop me a line via my website. On the right-hand side, there's a column and a little link that says contact me. Click on that and you can drop me a line. And if you'd like to follow Hayley on Twitter, then she's at Bookshaped. Here's our chat. Well, I'll just do a little intro and then okay. we can get started. Great. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare. I'm a hairsuit author, a podcaster, apparently nowadays, and also anxious dad. I hope you're feeling well. Uh, this is going to be another exciting interview slash chat episode um, with author Hayley Webster. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm a bit sweaty, <laughs> but I always am when I do these intros because I get I get excited <laughs> and anxious and I start producing adrenaline and then I start and then I just get slightly sort of like uh, misted with a light <laughs> grease of perspiration. Excellent. Uh, but I'm very excited to chat to you. Uh, we've known each other for, I don't even want to say the number of years because it's probably like a horrible amount. Like it's probably at least it's, it's, 18 years. Yeah, it's quite right? a long time. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, your writing career and where's it, where it's taken you and also uh, maybe touch on a few things that uh, you've kind of learned along the way if that's not treat, treating you as too much of a... A sage. Some um, kind of guru. No, yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about all that Great, stuff. Great, that's, that's, I'm really excited because I feel, I feel like I've, uh, without putting you on too much of a pedestal, I feel like I've learned a lot from you and from talking to you and from listening to your reflections on your own writing practice as, you know, a peer and a kind of fellow traveller on this yeah. slightly uh, eccentric journey <laughs> we're taking through uh, putting words in order and then asking people to pay us for them. <laughs> But I, I, so I just want to sort of begin, I guess, at the beginning with asking that: like, How did you get started as a writer? Um, I don't know. It's the short answer. I think it's being a reader. So many people say that, don't they? Like, it's reading makes you be a writer. I don't know. Some people don't, but uh, for me, it was definitely reading because my mum taught me to read so young. So when I started school, I could already. Read. How old were you when you learned to read? Um, I think she started doing the flashcards with me when I was about two and a half, three. So by the time I was four, I could read wow. pretty fluently, which is strange to look back on now. And having a six-year-old, it's strange to look on. Um, so yeah, per, like, when I started school, people were learning their alphabet and stuff, and I had all this space to read stories that I wanted to read, and the teacher would let me pick stuff to read while the others were doing. Can you remember any of those early, can you remember any of the early books or things that you particularly liked? Or... Um, well, I think I did read all the ones that people start to read early, but I read them quite quickly. So, you know, all the Roger Red Hat and Jennifer Yellow Hat. Did you ever have those? I, I think I'm older than you. Oh so. my gosh. That... <laughs> the Village of Three Corners. That, that, I've, I, that feel, <laughs> I, that is so on the periphery of my memory. And I, it's just. It's going to crawl back in. I'm though, sure. <laughs> Billy I'm Blue sure Hat. I'm um, sure I remember that, but I can't remember. It was vivid. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what they. I think they were used 
they were obviously what we used at the time now, like Chip and, uh, Chip and Biff are used now, aren't they? I think at schools, I think it was the equivalent. But I was able to read all of those. And then there was these things called Tim and Tobias. I don't know if you ever read those. They were no. amazing. About They were really spooky, magic. There was like a magic cat, but they were really dark and sinister. And there was a boy who used to like send messages across the bay through his window with a flashing torch and stuff. I love those things. I know. I've been looking for it ever since because I just remember how much I loved it. But I read it before the others did. Um, So by the time people were reading those, I was reading books that were for older children and adults. Was that that quite... Was was that isolating? It probably was in a way that I didn't really recognise. So at the time you didn't feel... Um, I felt I felt like that in lots of different ways as well. So it probably just was another thing that added to feeling. I felt I did feel isolated, but I was just used to it. Um, <laughs> I lived in a mobile home in the grounds of a care home for boys. My dad worked there, so it wasn't like a proper ha- a road with houses and stuff. We just lived in a field in a mobile home. Wow. So that in itself, you know, you could climb under the house and. There, na- there wasn't neighbours. Or... When you say you could climb it under under the house, did you? <laughs> yeah, climb we did. Under the house? Yeah, did used to climb under the house. But I do have this memory. I don't know if this is what made me a writer thinking about it now. <laughs> is that we had black rats under there? Oi! Proper... Are black rats the bad ones? <laughs> yeah, I can't they're the remember. really big. I mean, my memory of them there's is like they're the side of a hog. And black rats, right? Yeah, um... black rats. In my memory, you know, they were hog sized, but that might not be accurate. <laughs> but, you, were, you were smaller, right? Like, yeah, so they were big and they had massive, massive tails. And they all, my dad had to put poison down under the, because they got so bad and would scratch under the house. So you could hear scratching, holy. I know. <laughs> I think it, I'm sure there's something about that that, that made me right. Um, so <laughs> I do remember it. And uh, and then people having to drag them out when they were dead, you know, because like, they'd all been poisoned. And then these big, <sighs> this is not going I'm where so, you thought it was going to go. So no, sorry. it's so vivid. And it's just making, I, I just, I read a memoir of a, a rat catcher and him talking oh, wow. about the difference between, which I can't remember, but between Rattus Norvicus, I think, and Rattus Rattus. And one of those is the brown ones. Yeah, And one like of them is the black rats. ones. And the black ones are like, I think uh, those ones are the, one of them is the ones that like brought the plague. Yeah. And if you put two of them in a box, one... <laughs> Like in the morning, one will be a skeleton and the other will be alive, and they're like really <laughs> scary. <laughs> like, because I was an early reader and I remember sort of hoovering up books, yeah. and and that being a place of so it's a combination of it being like a real place of comfort where I knew what I was doing, yeah, and I could achieve and kind of just gorge myself on these things and I think a place of that odd that isolated uh pride (laughs) that kind of like slightly puffed up thing that I did as a kid where I felt strange and a bit alienated from the other children and I sometimes you know when I was reading uh, I got to kind of convert that into a kind of kind of arrogance really like do you know i can't I, imagine that yeah <laughs> that is fair that is that is a is, deeply fair point there is something about being able to do something that other people can't do that does feel like a i mean it's like a two-pronged thing it feels really brilliant like you're somehow special i suppose but also it feels i don't know there's a gap there's a space between yourself and 
sure. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of overplay it as, 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 as I, I sometimes feel it when I talk about <laughs> being sort of like reading lots and feeling a bit lonely as a kid. I, I sound like a kind of sad okay. vampire, right? Like you just like <laughs> just, go, go. People don't understand go, yeah. me. I'm too intellectual. I'm, I well, exist outside my time. <laughs> I think it's all right to to say that, but maybe in different words. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. I mean, I. <laughs> My parents had these show books and people used to get them in the late 70s and early 80s. I don't know if they still do them where you would... I think they do it now with, like, you can pay... It starts off 99p for the first instalment of something, you know, in a magazine. And yeah. then it's like £10,000 per thing and you can build the Cutty Sark or something and at those, the end. But it was books. It was like the classics that looked like... Is, are they the kind of like leather bound, yeah, kind of like with leather, gold leaf? Yeah, they're kind of green, thing. like yeah. you know, proper forest green with gold. And it was all you know, Jane Eyre and yeah. all Charles Dickens, Vanity Fair, and all of that. And they were show <laughs> show books. And I, I think by the time I finished them, I was about eleven. So you 12. did. So read I read them because nobody was reading them, and there was other stuff going on at home that really was awful. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to just start reading them. So I took the first one and just read through them and over did, a period of about five or six years. Were you aware that you were working through Yeah, classics? I think it was... A, what, did you feel like, oh, I'm like... I or were they, they just books? I think they were just... I, I think they were just books because no one was talking about classics in that way, I don't think, anywhere around me. Yeah. Not at that age. Um, but I knew they must be something because they were there in that strange green and gold. So there'd be a reason for them. Like, why were they there? They were, they were in a big, you know, they were in, people used to have those dresses, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, some people still do, and there's nothing wrong with them. But I remember everybody's house had them, you know, ornaments, certificates, maybe like a coffee pot, like a Royal Derby coffee pot, and it's accompanying coffee, not cups, of like espresso cups. And then these rows of these these books. Yeah, like, it's kind of like a slightly like a kind of solicitor's office. Almost, yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, and you can just almost imagine there would be an inkwell, yeah. you know, not used just there for ornamental purposes just uh, and did any of those books when did any of them because i imagine there's quite a lot that would have gone over your probably head? so i was an avid dictionary carrier and still i always read with a dictionary and would always look everything wow. up and would make my own little dictionaries when writing what the words were to try really so, i know i didn't mean to talk about this but that no, is that's so no, and i that, still to read me, that's really cool yeah i'm really yeah I, i'm not ashamed of it i loved i still do i would i'd never you know like you still you can gloss over a word and think oh i can sort of know what that means yeah i never did that even then i was always i would always make sure i found out i loved the moonstone that was the first one that really is I that went, wow. Wilkie Collins? Yeah. So what's it? They often say it's like the first detective novel. Whether that's true or not, I don't really know, but a lot of people do say that. I just, my memory of it, I have reread it since, but my memory of it then is there's all this very mysterious and dark sand. What's it the about? The shivering of the sand. Oh. <laughs> um, there are, I actually don't know how to, to, I've tried to explain what it's about in a sentence or two before, and I can't because my connection with it is all to do with the descriptions of so, the sand. so in your head it's it's more a it's more a kind of place right i think so yeah because there's all this stuff like the shivering of the sand there's this this it, it's like a ghost story but it's not and so there's all these descriptions that really horrific sinister descriptions that they're at the time when i was reading i probably didn't understand all of the nuances of the plot because adults doing adult things you know you only pick out 
you don't always but I, it's just my memory of the sand really and being in my room you know with a tiny torch and thinking of the sand that's that's where the... but that is like see I, I'm only when I'm saying wow it's not like I'm going wow that's weird although I think <laughs> no. it maybe statistically is I'm going wow because nice I feel thing. like I really connect yeah with what I was reading I mean much less sophisticated stuff I you know I, I when I was 12 my English teacher finally took me aside and said uh, Tim it's really good that you're reading so much but um your last six book reports have been on Super Mario choose your own adventure books would you like to try reading something else but I I do really feel what you're saying about that experiencing of a mood and and we yeah. when we talk about writing we talk about them we prioritize in literary criticism and talk discussions yeah. prioritize what the book's about big themes uh sometimes characters but there's very little discussion about just the hallucinatory quality yeah. of reading a book and being and somewhere you're not which is mad right yeah i think that's that is how i read books as well actually is that that's how i you're that's how i remember a book and it, yeah it is it, it definitely is a sensory thing and my memories afterwards are often of uh, colors and shapes rather than then this happened and then this happened even in books I read so many different kinds of books I lo- I'm not fussy really um and I certainly things that are really plot driven I love page turners and stuff um but even with books like that afterwards I'm kind of left with a I don't know like a sense of the stones or the I don't really I really I, I like I think when I read um when I read uh, William Golding's uh, Lord of the Flies, the bit that really stuck with me is when they sort of climb to the top, Ralph climbs to the top of the island, and he looks down, and Golding does this great description where on, I think, the west side of the island, uh, the tide's going out, and it's kind of dragging across the rocks and leaving these kind of fingers of spume. And he has this line in it where he says, and as Ralph watched... He describes the island as being boat-shaped. Yeah. And he says he felt as if the the boat was slowly moving astern. And I remember reading that and my body, I actually adjusted for the movement. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and that has stayed with me. That's the thing, isn't it? There's something about that, I think. I think when you're really intensely inside something, it's a very strange... It's a very strange thing to, you know, I was a great reader in cards when I was a kid. Whenever we drove anywhere, I was always reading. So I wouldn't know where we'd been or what we'd seen. But my memory was the, of the motion of the car and then whatever it was, I was inside. Um, it's funny so, when those things kind of get then connected also with yeah. the place you're in when you're yeah. reading. You can no, have some true. really weird double like associations yeah. where there's a piece of music on while you were reading a certain book or... Yeah. That's a... So I'll... I want to sort of move forward a bit to your first uh, book, your debut novel, yeah, uh, Jar Baby, which came out in twenty twelve. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. I, I wondered if you could talk about a bit about that, the process of writing about it, how it came about. Yeah, I um, uh, so I did the MA at UEA in the whichever year it was. Um, and tried different things every time. So one week I would, when I handed in, I'd hand in a piece of children's writing, then I'd do a bit of comedy writing, then I'd do mystery. I never, I didn't add to the same piece all the way through. I wanted to try out loads of different things. Um, and then when I left, I got an escalator reward through, uh, it, was, it wasn't called, 
it was called something different then. It's New Writers' Centre now, but it was called Arts East. It, I, I'm not quite sure what it was called. I can't I remember. I um, got an, an Escalator Award to write my first book, which was Jar Baby. So I, I wrote it in about seven months with a Arts Council grant, which was super lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, and then... Um, and then signed to somebody, actually somebody, uh, a publisher who, because you used to go on ABC Tales. Yeah, you? I did, yeah. yeah. ABC Tales was a, a website which where you could submit your stories. You had to put them in uh, like catalogues of 26 initially because yeah, the initial idea was that it was like A is for something and oh yeah yeah it was like and that, that was back in like 2000 that. I think yeah, that it I was, was submitting to that yeah well I, it was it was a publisher I met at an event that they did so it was a reading wow. event and he came and heard and I'd written some story about something um, and he came up afterwards and said oh well, when you've got something if you want I'll have a look so instead of doing the traditional agent route I had met agents and stuff um, was working with an agent but I was very shy and didn't understand publishing and kept getting that stuff wrong and not ringing people <laughs> thinking oh perhaps they'll ring me I was just I just I didn't know what I was doing a, I actually well, didn't know a, what I was doing it's a nerve-wracking world isn't it the publishing industry <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't really know anybody who'd done anything I was the first in my family to go to university or anything like that so I just I kind of did <laughs> I look back now and I was really naive and also very young and shy so it was easier that this person had approached me, um, although he really loved the book and got the book, so I was quite happy that we ended up doing it that way. It was good, so that's how that came about. Yeah, I think the publishing industry definitely, it just, it's not, I've not really met anyone in the publishing industry who I, like, massively dislike or anything. It's not that, but it is definitely uh, sort of middle, middle and upper middle class uh, working environment and people who all seem very confident and yeah and I, I just think there was an assumption I had an assumption that people would tell me what to do <laughs> and I think there's an assumption that people knew I knew what I was doing so there was this massive disconnect between Be- because everybody because it's such a tight-knit <laughs> yeah maybe group. so and I did speak like I knew what I was doing and I, I can write so but also there was a there was a big gap in you know my concept of what writing and I, I just what really, what you know, I didn't really know. I, I still but, don't know really. But, yeah, no, but I mean, I even really didn't know then. You know. I think I think like when I started sort of making connections with the publishing industry and sort of tentatively thinking, gosh, you know, is this something I could do? Uh, I definitely, I just, I just think when I look back, I really feel like I wanted them to parent me i think that's true in fact who was it as somebody i can't remember but somebody brilliant who i know anyway reminded me that you know your age your agent isn't your parent you know they're not your parents um, <laughs> it's, it's true isn't it's it? really important for me um, to, to remember that although i mean joe unwin isn't old enough in any way to be my parent anyway but it's just that kind of looking for that 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 strange affirmation thing and that you know yeah. and i mean when my parents died when i was quite young anyway so it's kind of you know um but yeah no they're not no one in the publishing industry is your parents unless they work there unless they i mean unfortunately <laughs> yeah, now we're touching your... on there may well be your parents <laughs> yeah in case. That's, that's a totally different thing uh, so yeah. uh jar baby covers some really difficult ground yeah it is and it is it is pretty unflinching in how you kind of do that. I think it's, I think I, I'm really, I was sort of, 
it's sort of compelling and also repelling at the same time. <laughs> the that's, that's my... the there's a sensual detail in everything in the yeah. world. I mean, you talked a bit about your in, in reading the Moonstone yeah. how these sensory images, the shivering sand, kind of it stays with you. And I think in in that book, almost so many mundane actions like the smoking of a cigarette or someone sweating or uh, certain smells are given this almost hyper uh, real intensity to it and I, I just was wondering if you could talk a bit about how that was to write because I don't want to use the word I don't think it is harrowing to read because that suggests it's kind of manipulative i don't think that but it is intense <laughs> to read, right yeah yeah it is it is intense although I, I mean i did want to give it the pace of a mystery kind of thriller so i think there's like the mystery at the core of it that is that's what you know that's what leads the reader through but it is true that line by line um I just don't like writing things that anyone else has written. So if I write anything, even if I want to write The Rain Poured, I won't write it. I'll then think about that exact bit of rain that I want to write about and then describe that rather than just the general feeling of rain. Although actually I reread Jar Baby recently and there was hardly any weather in it, which was really interesting. But um, so... How do you do... How do you do that? Because that's... I mean, I know I'm basically gone... <laughs> Hayley, you know writing. <laughs> if I did, how is writing done? <laughs> but I genuinely int- yeah. that is fascinating because what you're describing there is like, oh my gosh, of course. But it's <laughs> you know when I go to a park and I think right, I'm going to like observe and then I'm going to write down. I'm like there'll be like some people, a baby, a baby eating an ice cream, yeah, <laughs> a dog, someone walking a dog, and all those things. A month. How do you, how do you find the 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 suchness of a single that's piece of rain. A, that's a very good question. How do I? How does one find the suchness of a specific rain? I mean, God, it sounds so pretentious. It also sounds like the kind of thing that, that I gets... sound awful. They don't ever don't. I said um, it. No, you sound brilliant. I sound. Who is this woman? Um, I don't actually. I don't know. Is the short answer the little bit of a longer answer is that, um, that is how I experience the world around me I think um certainly when I do stuff on Twitter and I write because I love Twitter as a form not just as a way of communicating with people I love the form of the shape of the tweets and how you have to fit the characters in I love writing stories on there and I love doing descriptions on there and I recently did a thread where I just said one like for something I love and I didn't it was late at night and I had to drive somewhere the next day and I thought I'd have about 20 maybe and I could just write 20 and then it just got a bit out of hand and there's about 300 likes. My brain was trying to think of everything I'd ever loved, everything. And it was all descriptions of things, very specific things. Um, either that I'd seen, they're all sensory things. So see, touch, you know, Did they change sound. as you went from your first ones where you could pick where you'd done like five to when you were like a hundred deep in it? Did you, did, did, did the process, because I imagine you had to sort of did you have to dig for them? I don't or? think I did. Up and, and then I stopped and I said, so I'd come back to it and sometimes put them when I thought of them. Mm. But I mean, I got quite far before I got to that point. And it was only because I had other things I was supposed to do. I mean, I, I think I could have sat there just doing that 
forever. Yeah. <laughs> but that's... Oh God, I probably could have. I could have. Um, I, it's just the way... I don't think I do anything... I don't do anything... I don't have a process that makes me think, right, I'm going to really think about this. Though actually once, you and I were once writing together in Waterstones in yeah. Norwich, and I saw you do you were doing something that people have told me that I do, and I've never seen anyone do it before, but I don't know if you know that you do I it, don't. which is that you act out something when you're writing it. I've because only I become do. conscious of that from writing with other people okay. and yeah. suddenly looking I do looking too. Around. That's yeah. where I did because I'm trying to look for the exact... So that's... So um. I'm trying to look for the exact thing and I will shape it with my fingers or I'll have my yeah. hands in the hair on, in the air and I'll be doing swirls and pointing. Absolutely. And I find it like that. And I people have said to me, what on earth are you doing? And they've watched me writing and I'm doing that. But I had only ever seen it in action when I saw you do it. So maybe it's something, acting something out as yeah. part of it. Well, maybe. these are things that sort of, I think it's easy to feel they're completely ridiculous. And when I hear actors talk about getting into the physicality of a character yeah. to discover a few years ago i would have i wouldn't have i wouldn't have sneered Haley, but i would definitely have <laughs> secretly rolled my eyes and yeah. gone oh come on i know when you could always cut that bit out <laughs> and then and yeah, then it's... later on now i kind of and then like you say you point out i do it all the time i just don't realize i'm doing it <laughs> i know it. i think you don't necessarily they realize that if you actually did though would you i think i would stop if i saw some of the things that I do when I'm writing. I don't mean how it looks, just, it's just weird. It's just a weird, I go really inside. I write a lot in a very short time, almost not outside of my body because that's not correct. Um, but certainly I like to write really early in the morning or really late at night when there's no chance of other people being around because I really like to be inside it. That kind of sense of focus you yeah. find it sounds like it's almost the kind of things that you've described sound almost like a kind of they sound almost like trance states you know, they, <laughs> they, they, they feel like yeah. an altered state of consciousness yeah I, I mean reading certainly is right but, yeah it is I, I there is something I mean sometimes you have to do the nuts and bolts of I'm because I'm not saying you know I sit there like at a grand piano and <laughs> Uh, bash out these it's not quite like that because obviously there is all those bits that are tiresome about getting writing right and yeah all the, all the you know the nuts and bolts and things but certainly in the first instance of the first second draft it's it's like that oddly and it usually works yeah i was gonna say that it, it so because i it feels to me it feel from the outside it feels to me like you write without anxiety now that cannot possibly be true but i always feel like you've got a really really healthy relationship to first drafts yeah in that you kind of just show up and see what happens yeah that is true. i was wondering <laughs> if you could talk a little bit about things that you've found because i know you've written you've kind of danced across so many genres and types yeah. of books you know in your reading and in your writing i was wondering if like if there's any strategies or I honestly think, and I actually got this from when I was at UEA, and by doing those different things, is that nobody else's advice is any good or worth anything when it comes to how you write. I really believe that. <laughs> because people think you've got to write this every day. You know, people go, right, I've got my, this writer does this, so I'm going to do a thousand words in the morning, and I'm going to do 200 words at night, and then I'm going to reread those. You know, what should be the best way to do this? And his, you know, and people pay money for advice on how to do that. Um, 
And I do have anxiety about so many other things, as you well know. But when it comes to that process, I have learned exactly how it works for me and I trust it. I have to trust it, which does mean there's, you know, I will go a week without writing anything. Two days of just staring into space and eating loads of sandwiches, just kind of <laughs> thinking. People go, what have you written this week? And I'll say nothing really this week, knowing that my brain is doing whatever it is that it does. And then I will write. And so I might write 5,000 words in a day the following week. It just, and I trust that for me. I would never recommend that for anyone else because I'm pretty sure that there's as many ways to write as, and obviously somebody might go, well, I'll leave it for four weeks and hopefully I'll write something and four weeks come and they still can't write anything. That's, that's not the right process for them probably. But for me, that's where that lack of anxiety comes as because I, tr- I, I do trust the way my brain works in that way at least i mean that echoes what uh had uh nikesh shuckler on a, a, f- a few weeks ago and yeah his main thing was you can't get too hung up on what other people <laughs> say is the way you have to write there yeah. are different ways through it and uh it can get very noisy with everybody talking about it and saying this and this and this and i you know i think it can it's good for people to learn how how they work isn't it i think yeah i mean i so the only thing i i get with that is i i'm i when people say find your own way <laughs> i think this is this comes back to wanting to be parented actually yeah, i think no, I, I it's go, nice to have yeah no i'm not actually <laughs> i better make sure that i'm careful that i articulate exactly what it is i'm saying cuz i don't mean the like kind of entire premise some... of my my podcast is helping me with their writing Hayley, so you know <laughs> yeah, you are kind thanks, of like Hayley. eating my lunch <laughs> yeah. yeah no i don't, don't mean that no you're right i, I yeah. actually i Break wholeheartedly agree free. with you no <laughs> Run from this no I, you know I, not everybody wants to be um, dropped in a forest and have to find their way out without any kind of anything that's that's not no you know I mean I found where my writing process was while I was doing a master's at UEA so it was in a structured environment where there were certain limitations just by time and stuff so what you I, had uh, is like a community right you had people yeah. that to, to show stuff to yeah which I like having people, you know, a few people like people like that I trust to read my stuff. Who I find that really useful. Some people don't like to show people things, um, but finding your reader or your readers, yeah, uh, your instant a, readers. I don't mean like your readers as a you know once it's published or anything, but people that you trust with your process is a huge thing. Your beta readers, who yeah will tell you when you've got kind of spinach between your teeth, right? Yeah. And also who get it and ask the kind of questions. They're not going, oh, I just like... Could there be somewhat like more tanks in this? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. well, it's not, like, really, it's not really a helpful. kind of like war. <laughs> yeah, there were just more penguins, please. Although every book could have more penguins in and I'd be quite uh, yeah, happy. Be... But that's, that was a bad example. But but yeah, so... that so um, But you're, you're right, obviously, people... It's lovely. I love your thing you did. You've done your free, you know, that people can access free. And I really the think couch, that's... Couch 20k uh, writing bootcamp. Yeah, that one. I branded it, yeah. Quick. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's really great because the way it is, it's kind of... It isn't telling people how to do it. It's, it's, it's allowing people the space to find how they do it without it being kind of... That's the funny thing. And I feel a bit guilty because people... I've had, I've had like over 100 emails of people going, I'm... I'm writing for the first time in 10 years. They're remarkably consistent in people going, I hadn't written for a while and now yeah. I'm writing all the time. And they're thanking me. 
And I feel a bit guilty because I feel like I haven't really done anything. If you weren't capable of writing, I wouldn't have been able to bring that out of you. No, what you've but... done is had that... It's, it's a bit like Dumbo's magic feather, I feel, a bit. Like, I, yeah. they, that trust but then that the you talk fe- about. Yeah. The, They've gone, oh, well, Tim knows what he's talking about, so I'll I'll, tr- I'll turn yeah, up and write for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then, of course, stuff comes out because they're just trusting in it. Inevitably, something will. Yeah. And then they go, oh, Tim's taught me how to write. Well, no, I haven't. You've turned up and done it yourself. <laughs> yeah, Give yourself the credit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a bit of a I mean, sometimes you just need the encouragement, don't you? Or somebody to word something in the right way to make you remember that you can do things but no one would no one would listen to a, a, an author who said what's your big piece of uh, creative writing advice and we said I think everyone just if you need a little bit of encouragement <laughs> just just get and well it's true. I think it's, it's true, true but it, like, you're said, right it's true and also I, I, I'm sure maybe, maybe other writers will say something different but I need praise me too. I really do. We like, do. I don't. I do. I do need praise. No, kind of, you know, not ridiculous. No, maybe. I don't know. No, but not ridiculous amounts where it's, you know. But I do need to know what I'm doing is good or, or not. Especially as, like, you spend so, so much time as a writer kind of just, you know, just is like shouting into a well. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of time by yourself as well, isn't it? In your own yeah. brain, in your own kind of, you know. And the cat can't tell you well done or... <laughs> <laughs> good sentence D- dogs would tell you well done <laughs> they would they wouldn't understand the story <laughs> they would, cats they would, would know understand but they would withhold yeah they, they would give you some like really really strict critique. notes on your second draft they'd be like this is very self-indulgent <laughs> they'd express that with just a look so i just want to so moving on i it feels like quite a switch to me uh that six years later you've put out uh, a, a picture book and um, I just wanted if you could <laughs> talk a little bit about uh, Meet the Twitches which is the first in your teacup house series it like is, you go yeah. from like a this uh, sort of intense character led um, plot driven uh, textually lush uh very kind of adult uh, novel to a book where you're collaborating with someone else, where there's... And I, I just... How did you... How did it come about? Um, well, <laughs> I... Um, funnily enough, it is fully illustrated, but it isn't... I don't think they... I don't think it's marketed as a picture book because it's because it's a I'm sorry my like sense of what the terms yeah, are yeah no 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 the only reason because it's I, I feel bad for people who there's picture book is a very particular genre which I don't think I've yet tried so um because uh, it's got less words that's about six and a half thousand words uh emerging readers they call it so children Ooh. who are st- ready to start reading longer books so it's in chapters it's like a not little little novel but it's totally illustrated as well so it's kind of um for children who are starting to be ready to be independent when they read, I guess. Um, and I, I don't, I don't see it as a huge leap. So I'm trying to think of how how I would explain. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean any judgment. No, no, by no, that. no, I, no. I know you didn't, but what I all I know is that I want. I like writing. <laughs> I like writing stories, um, and I can remember being a kid really clearly, and I can remember the things that I loved as a kid really clearly and I'll say I've got a daughter six who loves books and stories so the sort of two writing something that she could read with me 
yeah. to me, I guess, it came from there. And also her saying to me one day, why aren't there many books with just a mummy and a daughter living together, different types of families? And I thought about it. And there are people writing those books, but they're not the ones that everybody knows. No, especially because so much of the sort of children's book uh, canon are books that are kind of handed down from generation yeah. to generation. And we all do it, don't we? The first thing you like, you <laughs> first thing you do. I mean, the first thing when I found out I was pregnant <laughs> with her was before I found out anything else was I went on to eBay and bought loads of books that I'd read as a child, including all those well-loved tales, you know, the, you know, the Cinderella's and the the illustrate the Ladybird ones from got- the late seventies. I went and bought the whole everything there was I that's what I bought first and so I set them up and I thought right I better find out about bedding (laughs) and push chairs or whatever I bought the books first so we do do that don't we we want to share that thing (laughs) whatever that thing is but I wanted to write something that she could see herself in I guess and I just love adventure stories and I love little things so toy rabbits that come to life you know I love the borrowers can you talk a bit about what it's uh, about for people who yeah sorry yeah so um it's uh, a girl stevie gillespie and her mum who live in a tower block in the city and they love it there (laughs) and uh they move to the countryside and stevie doesn't want to move she likes living in the city she likes the noise she likes people and so on the day of the move her grandmother nanny blue comes with this present in a big box and when she opens it it's a teacup house like a doll's house but in the shape of a teacup with a saucer garden and it comes with um four rabbits toy rabbits um mama bow daddy gabriel silver who's the girl rabbit and uh fig who's the boy little brother rabbit and this is her gift that she takes to her new house um and in the first book she's in a bit she's not in a strop but she's sad about having to move house so she doesn't take care as she's walking up the garden and accidentally drops the daddy twitch in the grass um and then the book is the process of the other rabbits coming to back to life and going right we need to rescue him and the daughter rabbit making all these inventions out of rubbish and safety pins and stuff and finding her way out into the garden to rescue him from a spider's web (laughs) so cool yeah. Um, <laughs> I've noticed with my daughter, Suki, that it's difficult to get down a street from A to B to a destination because she's so alive to everything yep. around her and just Sensory, in. I suppose, actually, in that strange way, isn't it? It's everything's got... And it's that eye level as well when you're smaller. Yeah. Things are... And it's that ability to look at two pencils and a bit of string and see that it could be some kind of it you could it could be a little washing line or a tightrope or it could you know you could the string could be a, a loom running back and yeah. forth across it or yeah, this thing could be a car that could oh, something it's could so drive great around um, that that is the best thing about writing i like i like daydreaming and thinking about stuff like that and the twitch series itself lots of it is what everyday objects would these rabbits use to make stuff to do things with? You know, how are they going to get from there to there? How are they going to hide? In the second book, they're hiding under, you know, cake cases and things on the counter and all of that kind of interaction with small and big, all of that stuff. It's yeah, amazing, I love all of that right? stuff. Like, it's yeah. like that kind of thing to me is like, again, it's this, I don't mean to sort of keep banging the kind of psychedelic a- angle, <laughs> 
But yeah, no, that idea of like really good stories to me, the ones that really get me in the heart and the ones that stay with me are ones that I feel like they give me a new pair of glasses and I can put those glasses yeah, no, on and the way I see the world, I've got a new way of organising the world and I go, yeah. oh, this and this and it's like a little brain toy and, yeah. so, and it's like that's that's the real gift of the story to me is, is, is yeah, those, like I think... George's Marvelous Medicine is a yeah, great like, example of a, a story that is really dangerous. No, it's just wrong on all basically levels. Basically, it yeah. goes. But do you remember? Because I remember, I remember so vividly how I felt when I first read that, and the taste of all the things, and the texture of all the things, um, and that pot, and the, uh, yeah. how it would look, and how it would. That was so. The actual medicine itself was alive. Like you could feel the bubbles popping on it. Like it was, there was something about it that was I, I remember, existed. <laughs> it, I remember the feeling I had was the inability to recreate that first medicine a second time. Yeah. Yeah. I felt such a sense of kind of like <laughs> no. That's like, like the, it's a metaphor for writing your second novel. Yeah, I've got. <laughs> don't. That's too. That's too raw. Alias not you, I mean one. <laughs> one, I'm in the same position. <laughs> oh my God, that is way too real. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's probably... You know what, though? He is a writer, right? He's probably Yeah, no, there's got to be something in that. Um, oh, oh. That's really true. I think it's... I love I love stories like that. And can I ask about the process? Because yeah. just on the kind of like mundane business side of it, yeah. did you sit down and go, I'm going to write this wrote a sort of the 6,000 word manuscript gave it to an agent and said here I think this could be a series or because um, with your first book you know you had a publisher approach you who you yeah. could then send it to by this time you were able you had an yeah, agent yeah I did so. have her when um, we when she took me on we went out for lunch <laughs> we got food poisoning but that's another story wow <laughs> it was a good way to really bond with, with somebody um, and we just talked about all the different ideas I had and what she felt was something that she could were you, were you terrified sharing those ideas because by that point no because there was a gap between when my novel you know when you I think that the first novel did all right for a literary novel which is what it was um when it came out but I mean it didn't shatter the world and there wasn't that many people who read it comparatively so I was kind of at that stage where I was ready to think well what else could I write and I sort of felt like I was starting again so and I'm not so many things I worry about but I've never really worried about talking about that stuff so I felt I didn't feel vulnerable about it or anything I thought well there's this idea and this and some of them I think she you know she might have just thought well that's don't write that yet <laughs> but that the idea of small things and stuff we were like right let's let's do that first let's let's work on this so I went away and wrote that wrote the first draft in a month um it was double the length actually so it was it was a good 12,000 13,000 words um and then when Osborne bought it um we talked about it being half the length and being you know an emerging reader chapter mm. book with highly illustrated and then we worked out we could use nearly we used nearly all the bits I took out as descriptions for, to give to the illustrator because lots wow. of it was my descriptions you see so actually yeah. it's set up this really you know Pippa's drawings are amazing she's made it something that I could never have I couldn't have dreamed that it would have looked as good as it did. She's she's like a magician. Um, and that first, because of that length and the bit that we took out, it's this great dialogue between, you know, I, I do the descriptions for the 
how what I imagine the illustrations to be rather than put them in the text. That's that's um and how did you find the fact that it's a it's a collab it's a collaboration it's a double act you know yeah, a, a, a book because it's the you know it's illustrated throughout and like you say some of the text has been is now yeah, the, they're doing the yeah. work of it yeah well we sort of that was all discussed you know the te- the um that stuff you know what the disc what the illustrations were on the page and the first one I would I did say you know for the first page the illustration could be this and then I really was intensely describing um what each page might look like um and then as each one I've done this three out this year so each one I because I then had seen how Pippa described it I knew I didn't have to then you know describe everything in such intricate detail um but there is lots of stuff that I um really want an illustration that is not in the text so things like I wanted um I wanted her stepdad to have a visible uh, disability that's never mentioned in the story or the text but in the description for the um uh, when I described the illustrations I described that stuff in for uh in in the descriptions but you never see that written down so um there's lots of things like that in the illustrations that I've written you know like where you don't want a story to be about something but you'd really like to see them in the pictures so yeah you saying that you were that your daughter was talking about how sort of um seeing yourself reflected you wanted yeah. people to be able to see parts of, parts of their lives or just or just life yeah that just life always, as is yeah, that, and it's yeah. not about all the different you know we've all got different things about us and the story doesn't have to be about whatever those things uh, I mean, in the story, her mum, she lives with her mum and her dad lives with his husband on a farm um, and the mum and the dad are really good friends and the dad and his husband come and stay and look after her in her home while her mum works away and stuff. There's this like really nice kind of, this is just how their life is and these are the adventures with the rabbits and, and <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that that's the bit that everyone's interested in, what the rabbit's going to do and what's, there's always a, a story that Stevie's up to that kind of para- runs parallel. Stevie's learning something at the same time as the rabbits learning something. Mm. They sort of complement and interweave out of each other's. Because obviously, when she comes in the room, they freeze. They can't. They can't move in front of her. So there's lots of nearly caught moments. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so. I very very exciting. Um, I we we touched on this a bit, but you. You seem, to me at least, you seem really adventurous in your willingness to write in different genres. Or, you know, if you prefer a really, you know, a a really iconoclastic in your ability to bash down. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not like that. I'm not not trying to bash anything, honestly. I I just, uh, I read everything, so therefore I want to write all the things. I don't want to... It's not on purpose. It's just I think, well, what's the story I want to tell, and and then it fits into whichever. I'm writing a middle grade book at the minute. What's what is the what's mi- middle grade? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that would be that. like nine to twelve. But I mean, it wouldn't necess- it wouldn't have to be for that age group. It just the, the the it just seems to be where it's fitted, and the character is fits in with that age group. And it's I funny can't really with talk those about things. it too much, but 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 I think sometimes it is to do with the age of the character. Um, but sometimes it's to do with, you know, where it fits with all the other. That's what I mean. I just want to write the stories I want to write, and then if it fits, there's so many amazing children's books for all the different age groups. There's just such amazing choice, and uh, there's just so many amazing 
books it seems unbelievable to me to me that um that I could write anything that would sit on the shelves with all those books that's that's still exciting and unbelievable all the time do, do, do you have a a particular genre or style that feels so despite that do you have a particular <laughs> genre or style that feels to you most like home I don't know I actually don't I mean I love mist I love mysteries I've always loved mysteries um and I'm trying to write I've been trying to write the a mystery series for many years and I keep rewriting and rewriting and once I get get there properly it will be an ongoing um thing but I, I actually I don't because you know you said to me before how do you end up you always hit you you said that I always manage to keep writing you know I don't get stuck but I think that's because I've always just switch so if I get stuck on one thing I'll switch to something else that's in a totally different style and work on that and then switch um I spent a month I spent the whole of March writing memoir for the first time short story memoir pieces written in the second person i wrote about fifty thousand words in a month just over a month <laughs> no don't <laughs> no, don't it's hate fine. me no, I'm pleased. I'm <laughs> it really might never pleased be public i mean it might not be any good <laughs> but the point it was just something different that, uh, I'm, I'm answering this question that you asked me in a really long way the answer is no i love writing for children because i remember being a child and i want to write books that i you know i children are excellent <laughs> I'm deserving of books <laughs> um so I do really I don't I don't think there's an art I don't think I know I think if I think about it too much I I, I don't think there I don't think there's I don't think there is and I'm not one of those people who thinks one genre is better than another because I don't really I like cross genre stuff and I like you know I love <laughs> I read loads of Jackie Collins when I was younger I love the speed of the plot in her books the it's, pace is just phenomenal like you know to write at that pace and I just want to combine really those liberating things. right where you God, read yeah. I've read I've been reading some pulp fantasies and like Roger Zelazny Chronicles of Amber I've been I've been I'm reading at the moment just about to finish them and they're like very silly yeah. and people ride on horseback and kind of like teleport and it's all written in a kind of pulp fantasy style yeah but also it moves really fast oh, i love that and there's some sword fights <laughs> underwater on horseback and right. i was like yeah, well, i didn't know win. you were allowed to write about that that's um, yeah. i find it very liberating it to read liberating. i'm like oh oh you're allowed to do that? i yeah. guess you are that's yeah, amazing <laughs> and that's how i feel like as a writer i always want to feel like i'm allowed to do anything I mean, it's funny because I've been really restricted in myself in other ways in my in my life. Um, but when it comes to writing, I always feel like it's the one place that you should be able to, you shouldn't have to justify where you want it to be. And then, and I think sometimes I've seen, you know, the way it's framed, genre writes against each other. This genre is better than this one's snobby. This one, well, people being snobby to other, and all of that stuff to me is like, well, I like books in all of those categories, and I've got friends who write all of those different types of books. And I just want to be able to read them, not say which one's best or which one's worse or sneer or look down or punch up or down or anything, really. I just want to be able to enjoy those books. And I think sometimes they're framed, whether that's my, I don't know how, why that is. It's the history of, I mean, there, there's lots, there's lots of reasons why, but I, I never know what to say in those discussions because it's not an either or for me ever. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is the most 
honest and sensible, but unfortunately it's nuanced, which is difficult to convey on Twitter. Oh, like people don't, people don't like no, retweet like a reasonable kind of like mi- where people go, no. well, I think there's no reason why you can't like more than one genre. Like, no. Obviously, but no one wants to say that. Yeah. People want to... I read a great thing. There was um, Erin Kelly did a great piece in The Guardian this weekend about, you know, um, just get rid of the concept of guilty pleasures when it comes to reading and just, you know, sort of, Right, terrific writing is terrific writing, and that's enough. And terrific reading is, and you can't tell people not to like something. Whenever <laughs> you shouldn't like that thing that you really love, unless it's like hurting people who are, you know, don't want to be hurt or something. But other than that, like it's a very strange idea that you're supposed to only find sustenance and joy in the things that are on a special list. I feel like I don't know what you think about this, but the way where I got to with it is, I feel like. Literary fiction writers don't, because it's for the most part in the industry, like sales are going down. Yeah. For most people, their book doesn't sell a huge yeah, amount. Nobody. And so, kind of prestige is, yeah, but is, is, yeah, is okay. all you I've... have a little bit. But also, there's this thing about actually, when you're writing literary fiction, you're not doing it to be pretentious, you're doing no. it because that's how well, the idea is. Well, I think that's the misunderstanding, out, right? isn't it? That's why the argument both ways it says, well, these pretentious people sitting there writing this, I don't think anybody I know, anyway, not friends who I know who, who would be categorised as literary fiction are doing that. They're just writing. No one's writing the with like story. a monocle popped in, going, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. of course, this is I very mean, clever, yeah. you understand. No, just as much existential angst as every other writer that I know when they sit there going, gosh, can I do it again? Can I do it again? And they feel vulnerable. And very they're doing something that they know not that many people care about as that's a proportion also the of thing, readers. Isn't it? Is anyone going to read it? No, you know, and that's a risk, isn't it, to spend all that time? You know, I don't know how many. I actually don't know how many copies of Jar Baby were sold, but I know, you know, it wasn't lots, and I didn't. Um, but it was still worth writing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but then, and then there's people who write a really great, pacey thriller. Yeah. It sells. It sells loads of copies uh, of eBooks. It sells in ASDA, and then they're told, "Oh, by the way, like you did that cynically, not because it was yeah, a story that you cared know, about that you were driven to write. You did that because actually you didn't have it in your heart. You just were playing it's to the like market." It's like the worst bit of school, actually, isn't it? It's yeah. about all the bit of school that I often would say, "No, I wasn't. I didn't really fit anywhere at school either. I have fr- like friends in different places, but I wasn't part of any." group I just want them all to such. get together and give each other just a hug just hang out and go look I'm at just, these words I just, <laughs> yeah, let's and just, just be and nice and the commercial writers to go I'm not, I'm not saying that the two sides aren't part of the same thing and people don't jump between anyway but just go okay so you write something that's like really exciting and fun I still think I think it doesn't help when they, you know you've got somebody who who is you know a, na- a name or something in literary fiction who does some pontification about you know and then that's that's taken speaking for everybody who writes like that and so everybody you know and then of course people go on the defensive because they feel like they're being belittled and no one wants to be belittled when they've spent hours of sweat and tears and you know of course snacks (laughs) yeah yeah falling out with the people they live with over the fact (laughs) that they kind of you know stink for four months in you know and don't ever (laughs) wash up that's just me. It's, it's um, vulnerability on both it sides. Is. I think it? I think a lot of that stuff does come from a vulnerability of saying, "Is this person saying I'm what I do is of no value?" And if people feel that that's being said to them, of course they're going to be like, "Here is my flaming torch," 
and here are my words to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's where it comes from. Um, <laughs> and some people are snobby or the opposite. You know, there are people on the extremes who, who, who they should be arguing. And then everyone else in the middle doing all the things with words should be going. Have you? And that's why I said, like, when I talk on Twitter about what I've read that I like, I will always just say things I've read that I like and it will never be one thing or another. Um, and if I'm sent a proof, I won't necessarily talk about just because I've been sent one I'd rather you know I would rather read something see if I like it and then say people should read this or not or you might like to read this rather than you know here are all the books in one genre I like or can speaking of which are there any can you is there mm-hmm. anything you've read recently that you've really loved um yes I have read um a few things recently that I've really loved the one that's in my mind is because I read it last night so <laughs> um which is uh, what we're teaching our sons by Owen Booth, which is out with um, Fourth Estate in October, and I think I tweeted about it today. It's just one of those, you know, when you read some writing and you think I, I won't bother writing anymore because I'll never <laughs> write anything that good. <laughs> it's that from a writer's perspective, there's that element to it, but also um, something. Uh, it's a series of short. I don't know. Is it short stories? I don't know, but they're all differently themed and they all begin with we're teaching our sons about pirates we're teaching our sons about emotional literacy we're teaching our sons about and then it's written um and it's comic it's really fun i, I laughed probably <laughs> like ouch kind of laughing but also was really moved as wow. well so i think that's going to be i hope it's going to be big because it's what we're teaching our sons by owen booth out in october of 2018 if you're listening to this in 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 the future and we're well if you're listening to this in the future i'm glad we're still all here (laughs) so i'll take that there's just that unless you're listening to it in a kind of bomb shelter or something in which case this was what the world was like when we still had books Um, (laughs) yeah oh gosh yeah that's um that's not good is it i'm reading a really good one actually as well by um uh well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm re- I always read about four books at once. Do you read lots of books at once? Yeah, Unless I get one where one. I start at the beginning, like that one last night. I started at the beginning and read to the end. That mm. does happen sometimes, but I often have, depending, like when I'm writing, really. I never really... Unless I hit, like, if there's like a, a like a, that, uh, that sweet spot of like a 60,000 word novel, normally a literary novel, actually. Yeah. Sometimes there's, if they re- particularly readable, if they've got, often if they're like voice-led. Yeah. Sometimes I'll sit down and just go... I reckon I could finish this yeah. on a plane back from. Excuse me. <coughs> I'll cut out that sneeze. <laughs> on a plane back from China, I think was my when I read. I, I read the Handmaid's Tale uh-huh. uh, of Mice and Men and The Road, like all in <laughs> oh one God. session, and it was very depressing. But I was like, your brain was, exploded. My, I should my think. My eyes God. were watering. But it was wow, so. I, I I love getting that focus. But most of the time, for me, I like having multiple books because yeah. what it does, I think, is well. Steve Aylett wrote about this in his book, um, The Heart of the Original. He talks about uh, yeah, reading uh, The Master and Margarita yeah. and how it's got these two narratives: one, the devil coming to uh, Russia and a yeah. theory, and one is the kind of uh, is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so there's these two narratives and what he said is interesting to him is that they create a third place that is neither that's deeply weird 
between yeah. that could never exist. Yeah. That and and for me, that's what's interesting about reading multiple books. Yeah. Is I'm reading one on hang gliding. Sure. I'm reading another that's kind of like a French Civil War. Yeah. Thil- uh, thriller. And yeah. then I'm reading a book on birds, and my brain starts to like go, okay, so it's the French Civil War, but yeah. everyone are kind of like human birds and they can you've got flight and and you start imagining flying (laughs) over these kind of like guillotines and stuff that's what it does to me yeah is the books combine into weird books and i look that's there's something about them the dreams you have when you're reading lots of books you know i'm reading a thriller like a a crime a mystery crime thriller by stephanie marland called my little eye which is set where there's a detective and then there's these online true detective fans and they're trying to compete to find out who the killer (sighs) is and so there's you know they're really kind of really good at clues but there's this mass kind of right we can do it and there's these characters who are determined that they're going to work out who is committing these crimes and then this you know this that that kind of which is totally different obviously than something that's about you know what we're teaching our sons which is another thing but they um, i really like to i really like to always have some kind of mystery or thriller on the go because there's something about the pace that really appeals and also because they are the fundamental plot right They, they they show you how to do plot in such you can write any story borrowing yeah, moves true. from thrillers right like you yeah. can because they they're about re- revelation yeah. discovery there's always a motive driving a character through yeah. so they're so good to read for it's proper ch- craftsmanship isn't it it's proper craftsmanship really really um so this i've got two like two more things to ask and thank you so much for coming it's, it's such a, a joy to speak to you i really this is just <laughs> as, as with so many things on on this podcast there's a, a lot of it is really is just for me because I get to talk to really interesting people and I feel like, feel like I'm, I'm learning so much. I, I wanted to ask, um, I've talked to you a, a bit about mental health in the past yeah. and on Twitter you've been really open about challenges you've faced with it and I, I think that's actually the conversations I've had with you and also hearing you talk about it has really helped, has really helped uh, me come to terms with some of the things uh, I've dealt with as well and I people talk about writing and mental health issues as being like linked and yeah. often in a kind of slightly flippant way like you know you I don't know if you've ever had it where you mention it and then then people are like oh but all writers are a bit mad aren't yeah, they you know, you know I, I just wondered whether <laughs> you think that that's true for you whether having those is, those challenges has been something that has stimulated your writing or not linked at all or just made writing much harder maybe all of those <laughs> things um i think when i first started writing that was to deal with um lots of lack of autonomy that i had as a child probably and a teenager so writing was worlds that i could form and shape so it was a way of dealing with things that in a lifelong thing ha- have caused me mental health problems i suppose um so the writing has always been entwined with the same stuff um and i think you know in jar baby the main character she has obviously has lots of different mental health problems and there's things like where she zones out and comes back you know and and that was based on my own experience no it's not autobiographical in all the ways it is a work of fiction but there are things about the main character that uh, that come from experience um 
I don't know how I would deal with the different mental health pro- problems that I've had without writing. I don't know how, I often write a lot when there's nothing else le- left, then I write, you know, I'm struggling with everything else. I still somehow find a way to write. So it's the one thing that always reminds me that I can do, <laughs> you know, like I might not be able to, might not want to learn how, have a wash for three days or something, but I might write something that, and that's why I like Twitter actually, because I like the immediacy of it. I like, you know, the form and the structure of it. I can always write something on there. And then there's always a, you have an interaction immediately rather than, you know, the, the publishing process is very long, isn't it? You know, you write something and then you wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think certainly with Twitter, I've found a way of talking about mental health problems in a way that people have said, oh, yeah, me as well. Or well, that's helped, and then that makes me realise that it's not just me and a bubble of just odd, and a bubble of odd. <laughs> um, that actually there are shapes and forms that other people can and cannot recognise, and stuff like that. Especially with anxiety and things. Um, well, it's, it it works. So not to anthropomorphise anxiety too much, uh, but it works to isolate. yes it it does and there was a time when I was and that was what Twitter did then for me was that I was really isolated I was living in the middle of the countryside all my focus was going into my daughter who was very young um but I was actually quite isolated from people in real life actually so Twitter was a kind of the place that I would put things or talk about anything I didn't just talk about mental health and those you know books and nonsense mary poppins that's not nonsense that's everything um <laughs> so um i don't i do i actually do and some people really hate this stuff and you know when you say something and then somebody else hears something else and then it becomes that you've said that writing is about mental health and i think it's different for every person so i'm not saying that but for me writing is definitely something that i use to make sense of things that cause me mental health difficulties that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, 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 when it it sort of comes back to what you were saying before about it being that place where you have trust. It just feels to me like it feels like this place of solidity to you, and yeah. a place where you can do do like do the work. Yeah, of being I think that's alive. true. Yeah, I I, I do. I th- it does feel like a safe space, which is weird because you're giving it to people to read, and that's not that safe, is it? Like allowing people into parts of your brain that they wouldn't necessarily but get I, otherwise but there's a there's an element of it that's not that as well there's an element of it that's actually connect it's, it's allowing pieces of your brain to connect in ways because it's mean because it's inherently meaningful yeah i guess that's what and it the is the challenges are controlled this is because i feel like i felt the same way i used to feel the same way about going on stage yeah that i twice i, I had to go on stage like hours after like going through <laughs> a breakup I went on stage with having no sleep. Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to pay my next month's rent. And going in front of an, an audience who might well be hostile, of, you know, I. but there was something that was always the same about yeah. it as well, wherever yeah, I, I went. That. And it felt like home. It felt yeah. like I went up there and what I was doing was meaningful. And the things that I was going through, I could give back yeah. to the process. Yeah, no, I think that I, I recognise that. Even though, like, public speaking, obviously, people go, well, how are you not nervous about public speaking? Yeah, that's, I think, that's the funny thing about anxiety is people think of anxiety being nerves of doing things and things, but I can do things that other people might say to me, God, how did you do that? 
when you but that's not what I get anxious about yeah, <laughs> I get anxious about all the other things <laughs> all the other terrors of the world and everything the terrors of my own you know because inadequacy it's because it's, <laughs> it's irrational that. right because yeah. that's that's why because yeah. anxiety like if if it were rational like if I was running <laughs> yeah. away from like a boulder <laughs> yeah that would make people wouldn't go oh you're really anxious Tim <laughs> yeah. they go that's no that's a reasonable response I you know I've performed in front of I've done you know poetry in front of like 2,000 people at Reading and Leeds Festival <laughs> yeah. I can I could jump out of a plane and do skydiving yeah. easily but However, you want me to like like have like an emotional like conversation and open up to people or deal with knowing someone is annoyed at me oh god and I'll, I'll you know I potentially could have a panic attack off the back of that yeah. I've, I've, I've screamed when a jar of capers fell out the cupboard <laughs> It's, I know, it's I ludicrous, isn't it? it? But that's why it's that's why it's an anxiety disorder yeah. and not oh, I'm just trying to. And people say to me, "This is the best one." People go, "Well, you know, of course, it's the fight or flight thing." It's back in the old days. I went on an anxiety course in Norwich, and they said this in the presentation. They said, "Well, in the old days, I went to that. You, I think <laughs> you need you need the burst of adrenaline because in the old days it would have helped you run away from a lion." And I'm like, "Lions can run." At 40 miles per hour. If, if, if my anxiety gave me... Usain Bolt, I think, did like 18 miles an hour and he's like the fastest yeah. man in the world. If my anxiety let me run at 41 miles an hour, I tell you what, I would not be doing writing. No. I, it's so like... True. Yeah, you could... Does it make you write really fast? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange... It's a strange thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what The final question I want to ask is... And I realise that this... Um, there may be uh, a little bit of uh, delicate threading the needle. What have you got coming up? <laughs> open brackets that you can talk okay. about. Close bracket because I know you've got some things yeah. in the works, uh, as always, that you um, can't. But is there anything you've got coming up that you can uh, talk about? Um, yes, uh, I have. I've got another. I've got the second teacup house book out on the first of June. So that's the Twitch's Baker Cake, <laughs> which is pretty much um what the title says but it is kind of great they decide they want to make a cake and they've seen some icing over there that they really want to have <laughs> they've got to get there because they're tiny so there's lots of adventurous catapulting with wooden spoons and that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> and then stevie's making a friend but she doesn't really like people and she doesn't know how to trust people so the girl is going through that in the you know in the girl's story and um, that's happening um and then the third one um the Twitches meet a puppy that comes out at, in October, where um, yeah, Stevie's dad and uh, his husband come to look after her while her mum goes away, and they bring their new puppy and the puppy hilarity and <laughs> and fear because obviously tiny rabbits being chased by a dog that's quite scary, but also only mild peril. <laughs> you know, it's for younger children. Um, so those both of those are out this year. So that's and then there's other projects that are in the pipeline that I can't. Really, there's about three of those, but we'll. How exciting! I'll mention them when I can. <laughs> of course, and if people want to follow you on uh, Twitter, how can they do that? Um, they can type in that swirly thing <laughs> and <laughs> at um, a book. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> book shaped is my <laughs> that's really good we're, we're writers <laughs> what are they called? I actually don't know what they're called there's so much stuff about the ampersand that, I thought that was the and I, see that's what is I mean is it you're probably right <laughs> I'm just like I just did like the worst piece of like mansplaining ever I was like let me come in do you know why I was feeling overconfident because I I, I, I learned yesterday that a hashtags uh, technical name name is the octothorpe is and so right? in my head that. I'm like you're I'm now Mr. an expert on all I, I don't know so I, I you might be right but I'm not a hundred yeah that one yeah book shaped anyway yeah that's me on Twitter so. uh, and of course uh, I will uh, in the show notes to the show for anyone listening I'm going to put uh, links to all of um, Hayley's uh, available books if you'd like to read some of her fantastic writing and uh, I think without glibness uh, I can really uh, uh, thoroughly recommend it it's uh, rich and uh, funny and full of heart and deeply humane and uh, really really readable thumping good reads as well um, then I'll put links uh, you can click through to them and but of course if you can uh, access a your local independent bookshop and you can get to it, then do support your bricks and mortar bookshops. But you can click those links anyway to get the titles and then phone up your local and uh, get it yourself. Uh, thank you very, very much for coming in. I thoroughly enjoyed thank talking to you. Thank you for having me. It's been excellent. You're thank most you. welcome. <laughs> and to everyone listening, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe and uh, leave a little review on iTunes if you like the show and to share with all your pals. I hope you have a wonderful week of writing and you go away inspired. Take care and I'll see you soon. <laughs>